Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So, our church is named St. Matthew, after one of the apostles. Um, St. Matthew is also known as um, the evangelist, which is a term given to, especially given to the four gospel writers, because we believe that this Matthew, um, who was sitting at that uh, tax booth that day, um, in a little village in Capernaum on the side of the Sea of Galilee, Um, wrote the Gospel of Matthew that we read today. He isn't actually mentioned very often in the Bible, only in the accounts of Jesus calling him um, to follow him, and also in the lists given of the 12 disciples, um, which are are, are listed in in the other Gospels, um, including Matthew's. But he certainly would have been a well-known figure in his hometown of Capernaum. In the Gospels of Mark and Luke, he's referred to as Levi, the son of Alphaeus. And presumably, Alphaeus was well-known in Capernaum, hence the reason for his his mention. But Matthew was well-known for all the wrong reasons, at least from the community's perspective. Because he collected taxes, not in the way that a tax office today collects taxes... But he collected taxes from the Hebrew people, from the Jewish people, on behalf of the Roman occupiers and oppressors who had taken over their country. To many ordinary folk, he would have been viewed as something of a traitor and probably a sort of loan shark extorting money from people. We know from the account of another tax collector called Zacchaeus um, in the Gospel of Luke that at least some tax collectors cheated people out of money um, that asked them for more money than they should have. He would have been viewed with great suspicion and probably quite a lot of hatred by the common person living in Capernaum. So what can we learn from this short account of the moment when Matthew decided to make a very big decision and give up his tax collecting and become a follower of Jesus? Does this account only speak into the lives of those who don't yet know Jesus? After all, surely us regular churchgoers are already followers of Jesus. We've already made a decision to do that. So surely this doesn't really apply to us. Or does it? Well, you've probably guessed that I think it does. And as is the case with almost every encounter with Jesus, it doesn't make for very comfortable reading Jesus always challenges us. He always, very often shocks us. As we look at the calling of Matthew, 
Let's just have a look, quick look at his response, Matthew's response to Jesus' call on his life, and then think about our own response to Jesus' call on our lives. And then perhaps we might take a look at some of the gaps and how we might close them. So Matthew is tending to his tax booth on probably the main street running through the town of Capernaum. The um, artist's impression shows the close proximity of the Sea of Galilee with the fishing boats in the background. And as Jesus comes walking by, probably actually with a crowd in tow, because he's just come from healing the paralytic, the man who'd been lowered down through through the roof of a house, and the people had been amazed. So probably he had a crowd in tow. In Capernaum, he had (coughs) performed uh, many miracles. Capernaum was his hometown. It's where he travelled from and where he always came back home to. It's where he basically lived for most of his ministry. And so Matthew would at the very least have been quite well aware of Jesus' reputation, of this, you know, the growing interest in this incredible teacher and healer and crowd puller. So we can only guess at what Matthew was thinking as Jesus approached him. The one thing we can say is that if he did know the slightest bit about Jesus, and I suspect he knew a lot, he would have known that Jesus particularly reached out to the poor and the marginalised and the powerless. And so as Jesus approached, it might have been quite likely that he thought Jesus was going to tear a strip off him because he extorted money from the poor. He was hated by the poor people. He probably thought that Jesus was going to tell him what an evil person he was and to stop robbing the poor. Most people today who don't have much money think that if they had lots of money, it would make them happy. Or a lot of people do, particularly in our Western world. It's not true of everyone, but but many people think that way. And of course we want to eradicate poverty, and we should wherever we can, and the Bible makes it quite clear that that is a priority on God's heart, that we should help the poor. But the thing about most rich people is, is that most of them have discovered that money doesn't buy happiness. That's what they discover. I found that out in the days when I earned a lot of money. It actually makes you want more. It doesn't really ever satisfy. You have the nice house, wonderful family, all the cars you want, all the things that you need, um, nice holidays, all the things that you want. Um, And then the neighbour flies in in his helicopter and you go, oh, I'll never get there. (laughs) We actually did. The the people in the the house up the hill had a helipad and they they, they used to, that was how they travelled around. But... um, What a crazy world, isn't it? When people are starving, when people are homeless, you know, when people are lonely, when people, it's, it's, what a crazy world. But Jesus surprises Matthew. We'll never know what the expression was on Jesus' face or the look in his eyes. But instead of laying into Matthew about his treatment of the poor, he invites him to become one of his followers. And Matthew takes off after him. I think Matthew was transformed in that moment. He goes off after Jesus, and and, and he doesn't just go off reluctantly. Uh, We can tell that clearly from the the gospel reading, because he must have been badgering Jesus all the way along. He, he, He must have been saying, Jesus, this is fantastic. Come to my house tonight. I'll bring all my friends around. Because we find that that evening, 
He's in a house full of tax collectors. Jesus is in a house full of tax collectors at Matthew's house and, uh, and having supper with them. So Matthew is, is absolutely, um, he's, he's excited by what's going on. And, uh, and notice, of course, that Matthew's friends are all tax collectors. Well, of course, if you're despised by most people in the community, the only kind of friends you can have are people like you, other people who are despised. You have to club together, don't you? So a few hours later, Jesus is at Matthew's house and having dinner with a bunch of tax collectors, much to the disdain of the religious leaders of the day. So let's have a quick think then about what Matthew has done in deciding to follow Jesus. First of all, he's, he's given up his source of income, hasn't he? He's given up the idea of financial security. Jesus is not going to put him on a payroll. He's prepared to risk poverty to follow Jesus. Secondly, he's given up his power and influence that would have come from his job. Remember, if he was collecting taxes, it would have been taxes that went to Herod Antipas, who was the the ruler of that region of of Israel at the time. And and it it was all being collected on behalf of the Roman oppressors. And that would have brought him influence with with local officials, with Roman soldiers, and, and so on. And he was giving all that up as well. Thirdly, he's taking a big personal risk with his family. He would almost certainly have been married. Most um, mature Jewish men would have been married in that society. Um, And and now now there could have been some long-term benefit in no longer being seen as the tax collector's family. But for the short term, the money would dry up. What was going to happen to his wife and children? In order to follow Jesus, Matthew has been prepared to give up his money, his, his power, his status in other words, and to risk his family's well-being. So do we think then that Matthew has been irresponsible? I'm reading a book at the moment called Concrete Faith and it's about the Eden Network which started up in Manchester in October 1996 when when a man called Dave Nuttall moved into the Bench Hill area of Withenshaw in Manchester, one of the most deprived areas in the country, with his fiancée deliberately And consciously, in order to start a new Christian community within that place, in order to help reach out to touch and transform the neighbourhood. And since then, over 500 people have become part of the Eden Network and have moved in in small groups to very, very deprived areas. Um, They've given up lucrative jobs, nice houses, nice schools, and gone to live in, in huge tenement concrete tenement buildings and um, where they have started to build Christian community and brought light into a very dark world in in many of those places where there is so much crime and guns and drugs and broken families and and all of that kind of thing. And it isn't for a quick fix. This isn't go in for three months and pull out. It's it's a commitment to go and live your life in, in these communities. And the reason they do it is because they feel... Jesus' call on their life to go and do that, to help people who are trapped in poverty, family breakdown, crime and drugs. And Matt Wilson, who wrote the book about the Eden Network and is a leader of the organisation, tells of well-meaning but perhaps misguided Christians who sometimes say to these young people, 
they'll be moving into these places, sometimes with a young mother, you know, with two children, another one on the way, and they sometimes say, how can you sacrifice your children's upbringing, your children's future, for the sake of Christian mission? Sometimes people say that to them. In other words, how can you be so irresponsible? Well, I mean, apart from some perhaps obvious uh, response that perhaps well-balanced children are much more about parenting than they are necessarily about um, social surrounds. The f- and note how many, of course, note how many children of, of, of middle class and, and, and well-off families go off the rails. The fact is that the church itself, the whole worldwide church, wouldn't even exist if it weren't for the millions of Christians down the ages who have given everything, all they had, including paying with their lives, to be followers of Jesus. So do we think Matthew was irresponsible? Well, no, of course we don't. Matthew went on to be a world changer. He was there as a witness to Jesus' death at the cross, as a witness to the resurrection, as a witness to the ascension. He was there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out into the hearts of the believers. He was there in the early church when everybody shared their possessions and everyone else with everyone else. And he went on to write one of the four Gospels, which 2,000 years later still sells 50 million copies a year worldwide. That's how many Bibles are sold in the world every single year. So no, that decision that he made on that dusty main street of Capernaum 2,000 years ago when Jesus came walking by transformed him from a pariah into a saint. He became a new creation. He became the person whom God had always intended him to be. And he went on to passionately teach and explain to his fellow Jews the love of God for them in Jesus. And Paul, in our second reading, Paul reminds the Corinthian church that this kind of transformation of people's lives is what the Christian life is all about. Like Matthew's life change, Paul explains in verse 2 that as Christians, they've now renounced, they've turned away from the shameful things, refusing to practice cunning or falsify God's word. And he explains in verse 3 that that some people won't get it. Some people just won't understand this this whole concept, this upside-down nature of the gospel. The temptations of the world, the schemes of the devil, that's what he means by the God of this world, are blinding people from seeing the light of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Matthew was spiritually blinded until the day that Jesus called him. But God in Christ makes us new creations. Let light shine out of darkness, Paul quotes in verse 6 from the Genesis account, indicating that a new believer is a new creation in God's eyes. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has wiped out all of the rubbish from the past, from our past, from from Matthew's past, so that, in verse 6, Jesus shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful, wonderful phrase, isn't it? Jesus shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when that face appeared in front of Matthew on that fateful day in Capernaum, that's exactly what happened. And Matthew's life was changed 
forever. So here's the challenge. Will we, like our patron saint, give up our financial security to further the kingdom of God and really give sacrificially as Jesus always calls us to do? Will we, like Matthew, give up those things from which we derive our status to become servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will we, like he did, take risks which sensible people wouldn't take in order to see God's kingdom come in Southcote, in Ford's Farm, in Beansheaf, in Reading? Because I think if, like Matthew, we were to make ourselves totally available and put all our resources into God's mission in Jesus Christ, we would see some world-changing going on here in our community. It's already happening person by person, small bit by small bit. But as we give up more and more of ourselves to Jesus, it will happen in ever-increasing measure, which I think is really exciting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the example of Matthew, our patron saint. We pray that your, the power of your Holy Spirit would help each one of us to follow your will for our lives in order that we reach out to those who desperately need you, who need your love, your forgiveness and your grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.